Shalom Abracha to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, to all of those who are joining for the first time, to all of those we have the privilege of seeing again. First and foremost, before we begin, Ezra Hashem, I want to thank Rabbi Roshlita for joining us tonight, which is so special for all of us. We're so eager and excited to hear the pearls of wisdom and the deep Torah that Rabbi Rome shares. I want to thank the logistics team for all of their work. My wife Shira is not here now, I don't think. But we'll be, oh, she is. <laughs> Tremendous thank you to Shira for all the work that she puts into this event and all the Lecha events. Ship of Jewish Futures for making all this possible and everything else that he does. And I want to thank all of you for coming, for sharing this space, which is a special thing, a special moment, a special experience. Nobody knows what it is. Is it a sheer? Is it a comes to We don't care. It doesn't matter. It's just what it is. It's a time for Yidin to disconnect from the standard mundanity, the experience that we generally experience, and to enter into a space of stillness, and of silence, and of depth, to allow the Nishan to reveal itself. So, of course, generally speaking, we're in the time period of El. But today, just now, the last few minutes, we're experiencing an extra special part of El called Chai El, the 18th day of El. And the reason that this day is special is because this day is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, HaKadosh. Today is the birthday of the Baal Shem. And it's not just a simple societal thing, like it's his birthday, we should throw a birthday party. It's a very deep thing, because to be born is very deep. And it's not for nothing that the particular day that a person was born is the day that that soul came to the world. Certainly not when you're talking about a luminary, the likes of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh. So all the Sadiq can say that the Baal Shem Tov is rooted in Chai Elul, this concept, the 18th day of Elul, which also, of course, means the life of Elul. And on a very basic level, Elul is associated with Yira, with fear. Aryeh Sha'ag, Mila, Yira, the Pasuk says, the lion roars, who won't feel some fear? And the Shlach Kaddish says, Aryeh is the Rosh Hatevis, the mnemonic for Elul, it's the Aleph, the Rosh is Rosh, and Yud and He is Yom HaKippurim. So Aryeh Sha'ag, it's a time of, of trembling. There are two kinds of Yira. There's a Yira of paralysis, and there's a year of movement. There's a year of fear. And there's a year of awe, of wonder, of amazement that motivates, that inspires. That doesn't leave us feeling trapped and paralyzed. So the Vashemta's light is high element. It's an L that's moving, it's an L that's vibrant, it's an L filled with love, filled with return to our natural source, to our state, where we feel most at home. 
So tonight we're going to frame the Torah that we learn with Nagonim, as we usually do. We encourage the men to sing along. And if you're loud enough that the woman can hum along, we won't tell anybody. Even Rabbi Rabbi. And the reason why we do this, and the reason why we use music as a tool, as a vehicle, it's not a concert, I'm not a singer. We use music because music is a tremendous, tremendous tool of spirituality, of spiritual growth. So much so, I saw a quote from the Dibri Israel of Mudges, that famous Hasidus that's so well known for all their complicated melodies. I'm, I'm going to read it to you in the original, even though I don't really speak this language. I understand it, but I don't really speak it. Yiddish, of course. And the son of the Dibri Israel of Mudges writes about his, his father. He says, He says, My father, the Majid Sarebba, used to say in Yiddish. Listen to this quote. He says, The world says, That the chamber of music in heaven is nearby the chamber of Tshuva. That's what the world says. He says, and ich sag, and I say, as their hechel hanegina alein is their hechel tshuva. But the chamber of music is the chamber of tshuva. These are not two separate chambers that happen to be close to one another. It's one and the same. This is the power of music. And so tonight we're going to sing, and tonight we encourage everybody, really, as much as you can, to close your eyes to feel, and to feel, and to go in, to go deep. To allow a part of you to emerge that might not get that much airtime, generally. And in that merit of us singing together, learning together, feeling together, we'll merit to experience these words of Rav Cook, these famous words, but the tzaddik says and he asks, Nishorer HaTshuva, singer of Tshuva, Hanolatakvar, have you yet been born? And if you're still somewhere in the heavens, Tzura Sham Nishmasra, where your soul is bound up to that source, to that place, Bitzrav HaChaim, with the bonds of life, Nehera Rida, Quickly, speedily descend. And awaken your heart. In your violin, let all of those who are broken, let all those who are feeling suppressed, pushed down, confused, lost, not really sure where to turn in life, let them hear. That all those whose hearts are covered over with layers of dust that they've become identified with and they forgot who they are, let them hear. To the yearning of your heart. Let them return to come back to life. That's our goal tonight, Be'ezus Hashem. So let's begin.
Shalom Kavach used to say, anybody who knows a little bit music, you know that music is major and minor, right? Two different scales. The major scale and the minor scale. And Shlomo pointed out a very interesting thing. The whole Nusach of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is in major. The major scale. Here's the difference. So you can't put it into words. This is minor. This is major. See the difference? He said the Rosh Hashanah is all about kingship. It's got to be royal. It's got to be big. Major. It's got to be big. And so here, I mean, it's a song that for me encapsulates Rosh Hashanah. And I hope that you'll sing it with me with all your heart. And we should feel ready. This room should feel ready. What a privilege to be sitting together. Now, I don't need to tell you how many walls a British person has preventing them from coming to such a thing. <laughs> it's huge. It's just tremendous. So thank you all for being here. Bezer Hashem, next time it'll be double as big because all of you will bring one friend. Bezer Hashem. So let's sing this together strong. Yeah.
said that the amazing concept that the Python put into the Shemona Esrei, the davening of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That we need to, we need to, we need to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu just to find the words to daven with. And Sheikh the greatest of the great, that gave us the words to daven with. Why do we need Hashem's society for that moment? 
or is it almost a chutzpah of a paitan, a poet, to come later on and add in this little thing as if the men, the prophets of Kralisar, that wrote the, the Tfilas, we don't have words. And the answer is on Rosh Hashanah, no one can have words. There's no, no words that are the right words of Rosh Hashanah. In fact, the mitzvah in the Torah is Tera Shofa, which has no words. And there's really a, a deep dichotomy that runs through the whole of Rosh Hashanah. Every time Rosh Hashanah is discussed, the same dichotomy emerges when it's discussed in the Vinachemia, when it's discussed by the Tur in Tafkhpeyalaf. And even when it isn't discussed, the natural state of the Jew in the shul and Rosh Hashanah is multifaceted. Every other day of the year, we know exactly where we're meant to be emotionally. Everybody knows where they're meant to be on Simchus Torah. You might feel it, you might not feel it, you might need the Chaim to feel it, but we know where we got to be. We know where we're meant to be on Hanukkah, Pesach, Shavuos, Yom Kippur, Tishabah. We always know where we're meant to be. Challenge is finding and blocking the heart to be there. But we know where we've got to be. Rosh Hashanah, we don't even know where we've got to be. Always, it's you depress you. Sometimes you look around shul, there's people crying, there's people trembling in fear, there's people jumping with joy. There's a suda with this mindset, with that mindset, and you see it all over halacha. There's a simon in Shulchan Aruch, a section of Jewish law that discusses and debates the issue of can we fast on Rosh Hashanah? Is it allowed? Is it forbidden? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? We have a lot of opinions. In the end, we hold, unless you got accustomed to the contrary, it's not a good thing. But the fact that you see there's different communities and different attitudes, fast when it's a sad day or, or a day of fear or a day when and you rejoice and eat meals when it's a day of celebration and you see the Torah says, talking 14th, 15th century, he says that, he quotes a Medrash, that everybody in the world, when they used to go in those days in ancient times to a court case where the outcome could be death on the spot, they would walk in in shechirim, in blackened clothing, dark clothes, unwashed clothes, disheveled. It wasn't like modern, you didn't fake in a courtroom, put on a nice suit and tie and get a haircut before you, you came as you were. And if you'd spent weeks in fear, trembling, uh, this could be an arbitrary, could be the person feels guilty, could be they're not guilty, but so much of the state, this could be the end of all existence. The person came in looking like that. Loichein Yisrael, this is not the Jewish people, says the Medrash. Come in Levenim in white clothes or laundered clothes. Cut hair trimmed, nails cut, all the way a person will come, not as if they're about to face a capital trial. <coughs> Why, says the Medrash? How can we be like this? <laughs> Convinced, confident that the miracle will occur. So there's so many problems with this. We know in you're not allowed to be confident a miracle will occur. But is it a miracle? The miracle implies that naturally this should be the end. 
we're in real trouble. There's just going to be a miracle. So, well, is it naturally we're going to get saved? Then we sh- then it's not a miracle. If it's not, if it's a miracle, it's not natural. If it's if it's not natural, we can't rely on it. So, what's the dynamic over here? And by the way, Marshall, one of the commentaries, also let's come in real celebration clothing. Let's wear coloured clothing. Oh no, says the Marshall. How could you do that? The books of life and death open. Once there's going to be a miracle, but no, but it's serious. And you feel this everywhere we encounter Rosh Hashanah. Book of Nehemiah, the prophet tells, the, the, the leads of the Jewish people tell the people they're crying. The people are crying on Rosh Hashanah. He says, stop crying. Go home. Eat good food. Drink great drinks. And give Mishnah Manas, give food gifts. What's it called? Nochaloy, the one who doesn't already have it prepared. Because God's delighting you, the love, the relationship, that is your strength. So we should be crying, but we should override the tears. What's happening over here? And the deep answer, it's amazing, even in davening. On the one hand, we daven for fear. God give fright to all your all that you made. Real awe of you to all that you've created. All the actions should fear you. Everyone should bow down to you. Right? This is, we're asking for fear. It's a strange thing. What do we mean? Hashem, you know, make us tremble, make us think about the, what is this uh, whole fear thing? We daven for fear. And then we visualize the future, just two paragraphs, three paragraphs later, we're going to be in a time, Tzadikim Yerubi Smachu, you know, the Olas of the Kvotsfiyah, Edebo's gone, the place, and we move to this beautiful world. Simchol Artsecha V'sasen Yerecha. Elation. We're in fear, we're in elation, we're all over. And the deep depth is, the Rosh Hashanah is both of these. Because one brings the other. See, a normal din, a normal court case asks one question. What justification do you have? You can have a court case about somebody suing you. Do you have a right to money or property or something? You start to think, well, naturally I have a right. Did I lose my right? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something right? Where am I? Court case capital, offense, Khalilo, you know, right to life. Well, I start with the right to life. Did I do something bad enough to lose it? And... Rosh Hashanah is different to every other court case that could ever exist. <coughs> because in Rosh Hashanah, the judge and the litigant, and the, it's all one thing. It's the creator of the universe. In a day that does not belong in the year, Rosh Hashanah is not a day in time. The only Rosh Hashanah event that we read about in the Torah is the sixth day of creation, the creation of man. The Garden of Eden. For two days we step out of the normal world. We step back into Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, the, the programmatic room, the mind of the creator of the universe. As he asks the question he asked on the very first day, let us make man. Medrash says, he, who is he asking Nasadam to? Who is he asking let us make man to? Who's the us? And the Medrash says different answers. The Malachim, the spiritual world, the whole of creation. Since you said it's the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, 
Well, Shanta says, God doesn't just ask all of creation. He asks man himself. Let us make man. And creation doesn't give a clear answer. Some midas, some things say, yeah, Chesed says, man's going to do a lot of kindness. MS Truth says, man is not very truthful. Peace, yeah, peace, all that is. That there's a fight going on. And man is created in the middle of a fight, in the middle of a conflict. Yes, he should be created. No, he shouldn't be created. And every year we revisit that question. Should man be created? And we are asked that question collectively, and we are asked that question individually, and every single one of us starts the day a bit anxious leading up to Rosh Hashanah. And then we first thought in Shul is, well, okay, I know I've been quite good this year, but I haven't been good enough, and I'm going to be better. And if we suddenly become real with what the din is, with what the court case is, we would have the following shattering experience. There is nothing we can say to compel the Creator to create us. There is no justification we can give for our existence. We don't have a right to exist. God, I've been so good. I don't need your goodness. But I'll do better. I don't need your betterness. I don't need your children. world. And if we were real with that, we would be so shattered, so filled with a yira, a pachat, a shattering fear that would strike to the existential core of our being. There was one person in the world who once understood the message of Rosh Hashanah to its purest depth, and that was Sarah Imenu. And she died. She learned from the Akedah that we have no right to life, and she stopped existing. If we were as holy as Sarai Maim, we would hit the verge of non-existence every Rosh Hashanah. And we say to even angels are gripped. They haven't done anything wrong. They're gripped with the terror of non-existence. Until what comes up, when everything that accompanies our mind and blocks our mind through the year is shattered. Something at the core of our being comes up. It comes with the voice of the Neshama. It comes with the voice of God saying, Nasarada, let us make man. It comes with the voice of the Shofar that calls the cry of God and the cry of the soul. And it resonates so powerfully we realize it's our voice the deepest voice we have. What answer we can say to Hashem, why should I create you? Not for us, Hashem. For you. Not because we have a right to it, because we don't. Not because we deserve it, because we don't. We can't. But because you want it, Hashem. You have a dream. You have a vision. You have a will. And somewhere in that dream, and somewhere in that vision, and somewhere in that will, is me. I am a part of your dream, Hashem. I am a part of your vision. I am a part of your will. 
Until two minutes ago, I didn't believe that. I knew it somewhere in my head. But my, my egotistical world in which I'm king, I'm trying to justify, I'm trying to plan, when that is shattered with Yira, Yira's not fear in the superficial. Yira is a sense of reality and awe in which what emerges is the beauty of what I am. I am the will of God. I am God's light and a channel for that expression. That is who I am. And I want life. Hashem. Because you, Hashem, the king of life, you want life. If you didn't want life, I wouldn't want to exist. Write us in the book of Chaim of life. Not for our sake, but for your sake in a king Chaim. It's so incredible to believe and understand and know that we give up on ourselves year after year. And Hashem never stops giving up on us. Never stops believing in us. And we can approach Rosh Hashanah maybe feeling inadequate or, or broken or filthy or all the things. And Hashem says, I don't want to know about your virus. Don't worry about between now and Yom Kippur. I don't even want to know what you're going to change this year. We'll deal with that. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know you were created for my sake, Hashem says, I want you to know you're, you're what I think about. I don't have thoughts except for you. I don't have, says Hashem, a will that doesn't include you. I don't have a love that isn't a love for you. You are my thoughts. You are my will. You are my vision. Touch them with me, says Hashem. In every food you eat, it's a part of my love for you. It's a part of my bracha. Making you keep in every move you make for two days, don't worry about the self you are worried about. This is the real self. This is who we really are. And so we say we walk into the courtroom in white robes, knowing the miracle will occur. The miracle will occur because the miracle lives in every one of us. We come back to who we are when Hashem gives us the awe, the awe of why do you exist and all the ego evaporates. And we experience the simple the beauty, the magic, the majesty of what it means to live for nothing but the Melech, the King, to be his servant, to be his child, to be the voice of the Shaifa, to be the beautiful self we run away from, to find it again, the call of the Ganeidan, the call of the Book of Life, the call of Avinu Malkeinu, just to touch it, the Simcha the joy that comes with it. The miracle, the miracle of the miraculousness of you and me and everybody else. That's what we're going to, that's what we're leading up to. That should be the bracha we need to be. That was a different kind of music. Hey, 
like, if it makes you happy, you can clap. You can clap for yourselves. You can clap for all of Am Yisrael. We're doing a great job. We're doing a really great job. I mean it. We should clap for all of us. There you go. What a privilege. What a privilege to sit among Jews who are Mavakshi Hashem. We're seeking, we're searching, you know, that there has to be a little bit more to Judaism, to Yiddishkeit, than a couple of do's and don'ts. We know it. All of us know it. Everybody in this room understands that. In general, Jews understand that, generally speaking, but slowly but surely, those of us who are awake to it need to talk this language of soul, of spirit. To recognize that Judaism is not a religion. It's a spiritual odyssey. It's a journey. It's a flight. It's an experience. And the ritual is a kli, is a goof, it's a vessel. For that feeling, for that romantic passion, for that thirst, for that yearning. What does it mean to wake up? What does it mean to wake up? To go from a state of sleeping, of slumbering, and then to wake up. How do we quantify that difference? There's so much that distinguishes between one state and another to completely different things. Elul is all about waking up. We blow the shofar, the Ramam tells us, because the shofar calls out, Uru Yishenim Mishinaschem. Wake up, those of us who slumber. And the Ramam adds, those of us who slumber because the mundanity of our journey through the year puts us to sleep. Uru yishenim mishinaschem. Wake up, become activated. Become alive, become feeling, become aware, become sensitive, become conscious. Wake up. Elo. Chai Elo. Waking up. We have to ask ourselves, which part of us exactly needs the waking up? And for that, we look to the Pasuk in Shir many of us are familiar with. And the Pasuk says, Ani Yishena Velibi Er. Which means, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. And the Pasuk is telling us of an experience that's common, 
where we live somewhat fragmented lives. In the sense that sometimes in great moments, and all of us have had those moments, some of us more frequently than others, we feel that our heart is awake. Our heart in relation to the rest of us might refer to that part of us that's spiritually connected, that's vibrant, that's passionate, that's holy. Those moments of elevation where things click and we feel plugged in. There's a part of us that's, that's Libby is air. A part of me is, is on. And if given a context, if given opportunity, that part of me dances like a flame, narrowly kim nishmas adam, dancing, moving, shedding warmth onto myself and others. Libby air. The part of us that's sleeping is the part of us that's called Ani. I. How many of us have had the experience? Again, at one point in our lives or another, it's all relative. A person stands before the mirror and they look at themselves and they say, It's just me. Just Ani. Maybe not remarkable, maybe on the contrary, we're not so proud of ourselves and where we're holding and how we're living and some of our circumstances may be perceived by us more often than not to be holding us back. There's the less glamorous part of us that's just a knee. We be a part of me that's the heart that's feeling, that's vibrant, that's alive. That part's awake and that's great and there will be great moments in life. But so many of us have fallen under the mistaken impression that the moments of just a knee, we put those moments and those part of our lives to sleep a long time ago. A knee is Shana. And there's a fracture there, there's a fragmentation there. Because that means that we might perceive part of our lives as being outside the realm of serving God or connecting to God. It's the frustrating little moments that are as least spiritual as we might imagine. And it can happen any time. We can walk down or float down the stairs, as some of you have described doing after previous events, and you walk out into the parking lot and there's a frustration. Someone's pulling out and maybe it's your car. Something, right? So, that's, that's Ani. That's, that's just some low aspect of our humanity and there's anger and frustration. Like, what, what is this? And that's one tiny example, but it plays out across the spectrum of our life experience. The Ani is Yeshena. Perhaps the most important message of El is that Ani is not only not Yeshena. Those moments are not only asleep in the sense of them being irrelevant, or so we perceive them to be relevant or irrelevant to the conscious connection of, of spirituality. Not only are they not sleeping, but in fact, Ani Lidodi. Ani Lidodi. No, no, no. 
Those are the moments. Those are the experiences. Those moments and those experiences and those circumstances and those challenges and those frustrations are the pinnacle, are the mountaintop of the spiritual Everest. Base camp always looks much more exciting than the freezing cold mountain peak. It's warm, it's vibrant, it's a party, base camp. Everybody knows that. On the mountaintop, you're exhausted, you're burnt out, you're exhilarated, but okay, a few steps to the mountaintop, it's miserable. But that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. Aniladodi. And in that sense, there aren't two parts of my life, those parts where I have the capacity to connect to Hashem and to be conscious of the fact that this world was created and to be conscious of the fact that the Creator's presence suffuses every particle of physicality, including this moment right now. We're surrounded and filled by Him. Now. Right now. Not just those moments. There is nothing in life that falls outside the realm of Avodas Hashem. This was revelatory for me when I first learned this about 10 years ago. That in fact, there are two quadrants to this circle of serving God. There's an upper quadrant that's called Ratzo, that's called running, that's called spiritual moments of connectivity. And there's another avoda called shov, called returning. When we feel as if everything's falling to pieces, scattered pieces, devarim, just a bunch of things scattered around our lives, and when things break, There's the path of the tzaddik and there's the path of the balchuba. And it's not separate people. All of us have these two elements within us. There are the moments of tzidkus, holy righteousness, of lave moments. And there are moments which we may not be aware of it in the moment, but they are laying the foundation they are becoming a springboard for tremendous, tremendous megadoses of connectivity. But it looks different on the outside. It doesn't look like a CMHS. It doesn't look like baking challah for the whole uh, neighborhood. It, it doesn't look like that. It looks like you wouldn't recognize it. When we learn how to pick up all those scattered, broken pieces, Hashem is close to the brokenhearted. Those are not moments which fall outside the realm of service of God. It's a different kind of service of God. Prime time. Prime time. Karav Hashem and the ultimate pinnacle of this, and it sounds radical, but bear with me. The ultimate pinnacle of this is the concept of tshuva. Because it's not only when things 
go on outside the realm of our perceivable illusion of choice that we experience. And a person's having a bad day, or even a bad hair day, or just a person is struggling with one thing or another, and this could be one day, and it could be two days, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be a decade, it could be many, many, many long decades of a person's life where they're just, they're out of touch. Because of some external circumstance, it's not only that. The light of tshuva comes from a place, we're not getting into the mystical aspects of this now, comes from a place where it's revealed in that moment that master of heaven and earth, you're telling a story through me. You're telling a story through me. And every line is in its exact place where it was always ever going to be, where it needs to be. Because all you ever ask of me, master of heaven and earth, is to take the next right step. My next right step. Not the person sitting next to me, not the person sitting on the other side. And if that's, you, if that's all you ever ask of me, then how could I possibly take that next right step that you need me to take right now if whatever circumstances in my life and even my personal choices hadn't led me to here, to now? This is the possibility of tshuva. Tshuva is utmost emuna. Because many of us may believe that God exists in the future. But to be able to lean into the faith. That in the process of doing tshuva and choosing my next right step now. And utilizing all of my experiences that led me to this moment that made me who I am. To become a vessel, a clear platform, a springboard. To allow God's light into my life in this unique way. Sometimes I do this, I go on long run on sentences and I totally forget where I was coming from, but it's totally fine. What was I saying? Who knows? Um, <laughs> it's good. So this is, this is it. This is it. This is the R of Chuba. This is the light. Emuna. Ah, it's not just Hashem in the, past, in the future. I turn around and I recognize that the past is illuminated with the light of Emuna too. Hashem is running the world. Hashem is really running the world. He really is. The Emes. Every single tiny little moment, every insignificant encounter, something you wouldn't even think of, the next day you'd forget about it. After 120, oh, do we see it's Hashem is mitukdak. Will you think the creator of the Adam, with the, I mean, Rabbi Ro can fill you in on all the details, you see him after, uh, that, that, that there's some kind of like, meta story and all the details are left to just unravel and, and flutter in the wind? No. Every single detail is miduyak. That means to say, Chavra, that as we are sitting here, all of us with all of the things that we're grappling with and struggling with and fighting with and wrestling with and is exactly how it's meant to be. Exactly how it's meant to be. Precisely. And I use that word precisely. Precisely. But things need to be fixed. Great. It's called tshuva. And what tshuva enables us to recognize is that everything was already okay. Do you know why? Because we learn. We learn 
through the process. Spirituality isn't an event. It isn't something that happens. It is a process. And sometimes it's a process that you can only understand with a very, very, very clear vision of retrospective clarity, 2020 vision. But then you turn around and you say, ah, how much did I learn about letting go? How much did I learn about asking others for help? How much did I learn about being sensitive to other people that struggle with the same things that I learned how to struggle with because I struggle with them? Hashem's telling the story of our lives. Like Amos Ki Ech says, I, I don't want to die, I want to live. Because in my living, I tell your story, Master of Heaven and Earth. That's life, is your story. And this is the tikkun. This is the fixing. And that's why we had on the flyer, atonement, at one mint. And it's not just a cute play on words. It happens when we looked it up. It is the actual etymology of the word atonement. Is, is one, at one mint. Because I come to recognize that there weren't two halves of my life. The half where I have the capacity to connect to God and the half where it was just hopeless. I knew Shana. It was all awake all the time. It was all alive because it was being told by a conscious being who's awake and alive and it was the essence of life. Chai El. At one minute. We feel at peace. We feel whole when we leave Yom Kippur. Anilidaidi. Ah. All of that unremarkable stuff that I thought I should put away. No. Anilidaidi. It's plugged in. So without going to long things now, I'll close with a story. This is the R of the Baal friends. This is the light of the Baal The Baal revealed to the world that emuna is not something to experience cerebrally. We can check off the box, 1390 moments, you finish dropping every day. Yes, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. Intellectually, I understand that this world is created by a singular being, and I can prove it philosophically, and it's all intellectual. The Balshemta for the final generation, like Habakkuk before him, taught that Vehemidan al Achas. That if we want to live a life that's founded on a principle of unity, then Vitsadik Be'emunasai Yichyeh. Emuna has to be something that's alive to us, that's vibrant to us all the time, not just in shul and not just when we're in front of a sefer, and not just in a moment of, of radical amazement and wonder when we encounter nature, but literally all the time. In the most mundane of moments, there is no such thing. It's just life, the whole experience of life from beginning to end. Kolel, everything, including everything. That was the Balshamta. So maybe this is the Hashkacha that the Balshamta was born on this day, Chai Elul. Because if Elul is the intense pinnacle zenith of faith, and faith is bound up with an experience of vibrancy with life, so then there can be no other day that the Balshamta was born but Chai Elul. With Sadiq Bamanasa Yichila, the Balshemta taught again and again and again, Bechol Drachacha to Ehu. And all of the paths that you take, know him. 
recognize him, be aware of him, thank him, connect to him. I'm going to read to you a short story, as I often like to do. I'll sing a few more Nagunim and we'll end. A prelude to the story, just one line. We haven't the foggiest clue of what Hashem is doing. We the foggiest Hashem is running his world. He's telling a story through us. Listen to this. This is a letter to the editor, if you've heard it before. It's Kedai to hear it again, and I know that because I read it once and I cried, and then I read it again and I cried. Okay, so let's, let's try to hear this together. Blah, blah, blah. Carefully. This letter to the editor was published in a magazine called The Jewish Press, on August 21st, 2021. And she writes like this. I'm going to read it a bit quickly. You can get through it. Dear Mrs. Bluth, I assume is the editor. After discussing this with my husband, because we are extremely private people who do not publicly draw attention to ourselves, my husband saw how deeply I felt about this, and he agreed to send this letter in the hopes that everyone would read it. And for the chizuk, for the strength, it may impart to those who are on the brink of despair. We come from a Hasidisha family, so my husband and I got married very young. I was not quite 18, and he was just a year older. From the first date, which was probably the only date, um, <laughs> she doesn't say that, but for the first date, we both knew that we were meant for each other. We married and were unbelievably happy. When the first year passed and I was not pregnant, my parents and in-laws began to look askance and suggested that I go to a doctor to see why. Both my husband and I decided not to. When three years went by and I still did not have a baby, the parents and in-laws insisted I go to a doctor. So, finally, I did. My sister's doctor, after examining me and doing a sonogram, informed me, sadly, I probably would never be able to have a child. My ovaries were badly deformed. So I went home, thinking that my marriage was over. When I told my husband what was wrong and that I understood if he wanted to give me a get a divorce, he took both my hands away from my weeping face. And he said the only way he would leave me as if I became a widow. Our love for each other was so strong, and his love for Hashem, who willed it that we should remain childless and still stay together. When we told our parents, they insisted that a get should be given so that at least my husband could have children, but he silenced everyone, and he said, this is between Hashem and us, and until Hashem wanted otherwise, we would pray and shed tears until he changed this decree. They finally left us alone, And we became that childless couple that stood out like a sore thumb at family gatherings and simplest. The years went by, and no matter what we tried or how much we wept and pled with the heavens, nothing changed. What did change was the depth of our love for each other. The respect and devotion we gave to one another. And that love became greater and deeper as the years passed. Listen to this. Can't make this stuff up. He can. We have been married 18 years when my husband decided to ask for a special bracha from a Gadol Hadaro who came to our town before Rosh Hashanah. When the Gadol saw my husband, he rose from his seat. He walked toward him and said loudly for all to hear, I have been waiting for you. It seems that a very special young couple had been in a terrible car crash and left behind their six-week-old baby daughter who had Down syndrome. The very night of the crash, the Gadol had a vision of this 
but also was given a vision of a young man who was coming to him for a bracha for children. It was my husband who he saw in his dream. My husband immediately said we would take this baby and raise it with all the love that I should have planted in our hearts. When my husband came home and told me this, I wept for joy to know that Hashem had chosen us to love this poor little soul. This was surely the reason why we were childless, because this little angel would need 100% of our attention and love. All the arrangements to bring the baby to us were taken care of, and I was holding this beautiful, pitiful little orphan to my heart two nights later. It's strange to what degree you can blind yourself to the shortcomings of someone you've been waiting to love for such a long time, but my husband and I didn't notice her physical signs, which were quite minor. We both immersed ourselves in the task of being the best parents on the planet. Little Gula grew, laughing and singing and spreading joy that filled our hearts and our home. One day, as I was reading my three-year-old little girl a story with her head in my lap, she turned to me and said, Mommy, I feel the baby kicking in your belly. She was laughing and rubbing my stomach, and I almost couldn't get her to stop, but she wouldn't stop talking about the baby in mommy's belly, even after my husband came home from a shear and was putting her into bed. All we could do was look at each other. Could it be so far-fetched to think that Hashem was once again sending us another neshama from his special stack? I was feeling fine, no symptoms or anything even remotely to believe this. My husband insisted I take a pregnancy test just to be sure that this wasn't our little girl's imagination at play. The next morning, test in hand, I greeted my husband when he returned from Shachris. We were indeed pregnant. I spent the whole day with my little Gula, dancing and singing and saying to him and thanks to the great good, for the great goodness of Hashem. At the time of the test, I was 44 years old, 45 when our twin sons were born. And the miracles kept coming. In the next five years, I birthed two more children. My special child, who never lost her connection to her Heavenly Father, always knew about our miracles before she did. She was a great older sister who helped me care for her brothers and sisters with an unearthly love and devotion. We were so blessed. And we thanked Hashem every day for Geula and the miracles she brought with her. I am 83 now. Geula was called back to her maker 13 years ago. She passed peacefully in her sleep. It was as if she had knew, known that she fulfilled her task on this earth, and so she kissed me before she went to bed. And she asked me to sit by her bed as she said, Shema. She smiled at me, and she said, Thank you for being the best mommy and tati in the world. I had a strange feeling the room was full of neshamas who had come to escort her back home. But I didn't want to make it harder for her to leave, so I just kissed her, hugged her extra hard, and walked out of the room before she would see the tears pouring down my face. In the kitchen, my husband was weeping. Together, we mourned the passing of our special child as she was leaving her earthly surroundings. The reason I write this letter is because there are miracles all around us. If we place our love, trust, and faith in Hashem, if we believe that there is nothing greater than him in the universe, if it be his will, then you will be showered with his blessings and understand that he is ever-present in our lives, in our world, and in our hearts, and that nothing is impossible. Thank you for letting me share my story, she writes, with the many who have lost hope. We don't know the end. Our stories are still in the middle. 
אל תתייאש. אל תתייאש, תמכבה. Because everything you think you've been through is exactly what's leading you to a brighter tomorrow.